0: If you thought you were a wolf born in a human body, you were wolfkin. But you could, you could be a, a ficus or a, a money tree or a Harry Potter yourself.
1: Hi, I'm Madison Malone Kircher, and you're listening to IcyMI, in case you missed it Slate's podcast about internet culture. And you probably didn't miss it, but uh, Rachel is obviously not here with me today, which means there's only one thing for me to talk about, and that thing is Tumblr. It only seems fair that the number of times Rachel has talked about musicals while I've been away means that yes, I am talking about her favorite thing in her absence. thought we would take the opportunity to share with you an interview from one of the earliest episodes of ICYMI, uh, but one that still feels strikingly prescient today, especially given the recent mass shooting in Buffalo, New York, allegedly perpetrated by an avowed white supremacist. I'm talking about a conversation that we had with Dion Barry in April of last year. Dion is the founder of the Tumblr blog, This is White Privilege. Today, we'll be sharing an extended cut of that interview, featuring a few more of his insights that we feel are even more relevant to the current conversation. After the break, Rachel and I will be back with Dion. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. All right, we are back with our interview with Dion Barry, who, as I mentioned, is the creator of the Tumblr blog "This Is White Privilege." This is a conversation Rachel and I both had with Dion in April of last year. So here's Rachel kicking things off.
2: First, thank you for joining us um, in this Truly. wondrous time. <laughs> um, yeah, so I guess my first question is, when did you first join Tumblr?
0: Ooh, okay. So I first joined Tumblr in uh, the year of our Lord 2010. Um, (laughs) I was yeah I was in my college dorm room um, with my my roommate Michael Schramm we were doing homework and he just turned to me and he was like you know what we should get tumblers and I was like why and he's like you know because I think it's really good for musicians and it's really like artsy and stuff like that so we should get tumblers and I was like okay so I signed up for my Tumblr in 2010 and um, yeah that's kind of how it started.
2: You also sent in your email that Tumblr discourse was wild. So can you tell me about your experience on Tumblr, which is kind of a lot to sum up, but we love impossible questions.
0: Yeah, so I guess it really starts with, you know, when I signed up in 2010, I was just starting to get into uh, socialism as a concept. So that was just what I was putting on my Tumblr. And then that's kind of where the followers started to come in. I will say... The beginning it was fragmented right there was a socialist tumblr there was a feminist tumblr there was a black people tumblr um with all these all these different little political sub pockets that were going on um that eventually converged into one big thing that turned into uh, what we would all call tumblr discourse
1: so we should we should probably talk about your your moderator era yeah
0: I remember that there was a VMAs, it may have been the VMAs in 2013, and that was the first time I saw a real convergence of the multiple different Tumblr discourse sections. I remember that night was Tyler, the creator, winning a VMA, and that caused a big argument. And that's the very first big political argument I ever remember on Tumblr. Because the discussion was, Tyler, the creator, is homophobic. Oh, he's also misogynist, but he's pro-black. But you can't judge black people for what they create to get out of poverty. So it was like a big thing that was going on. And that's when I first started to use that term white privilege, or when I first heard the term white privilege. And that's kind of what prompted me to start This is White Privilege, which was the Tumblr blog that I moderated.
2: So I guess in your own words, what do you can you kind of describe what you think this is white privilege did and what kind of gap you see it filling in the discourse?
0: In the discourse, I'll say that the legacy that it had was that there was a big offshoot of other this is blank privilege blocks.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: I think the gap that it, it filled was it took a very complex topic, which was privilege, And it simplified it into these small bite-sized chunks that were easier to understand. And the kind of basis of the blog was, oh, if you're someone who doesn't believe in privilege and you say, oh, show me an example. Well, here is a million bajillion examples of how white privilege works and how it functions.
1: Dion, for maybe some of our listeners who weren't online in in the era that was... Tumblr, could you describe like a quintessential this is white privilege post or your your platonic ideal of a this is white privilege post?
0: Oh yeah, Uh, the post would be a really simple text post. It would just say something like white privilege is textbooks being written by people who speak the same dialect that you speak. Another example would be like white privilege is every uh, hiring manager that you meet looks like you little things like that Um, it was really almost a list of microaggressions if you will Um, i tried to avoid doing big long essays or anything like that just stuck with just like small everyday examples of how white privilege impacts the lives of uh, people of color
1: what was your inbox like
0: Uh, my inbox was very fraught there were a lot of people who were very angry about the blog you know it's tumblr in 2013 there are are rape threats and death threats And there's racial slurs. All of that stuff was being kind of hurled at me on a pretty uh, consistent basis. And then there was just legions coming into the inbox who wanted to submit stuff when the blog first started to take off. And I, I haven't looked at it in years. so I can't remember how many followers it ended up in. But, you know, it was tens of thousands of followers to this blog who would submit examples of white privilege. So, I mean, looking back, I probably wouldn't put myself in that position again to on one level have people hurling racial slurs at me, and then on the other level have people listing out all of the ways in which society finds me unequal. Probably not the best mentally healthy thing to expose yourself to. But, you know, when you're, when you're 23 and you're kind of drunk on the attention, it feels a lot different.
2: You said earlier, you kind of refer to this time as the discourse era. And I'm curious as to how you see this is white privilege and its function fitting into the discourse era.
0: So I think that there's two levels of what the discourse looked like right there Mm -hmm. was at the beginning when we were all just talking about feminism and racism and homophobia and misogyny and stuff like that then there became once it was a simple way to explain it and anytime you make something simpler it has the ability to make it worse right um it has the ability to make it not as effective privilege is a huge 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 conversation and i was trying to simplify it so therefore you had people break off into blogs like this is pretty privilege or this is clean privilege was one that popped up where people were saying that there was a oppressive structure against people who didn't shower or didn't smell good i hope i contributed something positive to a lot of people i know i know a lot of people learned about privilege for the first time through that blog. But I also wonder, you know, did I dumb down the conversation so much that I ended up having a negative impact maybe?
1: We're both obviously really enjoying this conversation with Dion and don't worry, he's not going anywhere, but we do need to take just a quick break. We'll be right back.
3: Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes. So doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? Dot com, And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold.
0: In 2007, TV network CBS dropped 40 kids in the middle of the New Mexico desert as part of a brand new reality show. These kids would have to build their own society from scratch. And if this sounds like Lord of the Flies to you, well, it was meant to.
1: We were on this mission together, and we were going to prove to the world that we could make a better society than adults could.
0: I'm Josh Gwynn, and I want to know what this wild TV experiment was really about. Split Screen, Kid Nation, a six-part podcast from CBC. Available now.
1: Hey, I see why am I, guys. If you love our podcast, then consider subscribing to Slate+. Plus. Number one, it means you will get no ads on any Slate podcast. Number two, it means you'll be supporting not only our show, but every Slate show. And number three, I've lost count. I think we're at three. You'll get bonus segments and extra episodes of shows like Slow Burn, Amicus, Political Gab Fest, Culture Gab Fest, Mom and Dad are Fighting, the list goes on and on, lots of good stuff. You'll also get unlimited reading on the Slate website, which means access to every article and every juicy, juicy advice column without ever hitting the paywall. Just visit Slate.com slash I-C-Y-M-I plus to sign up. That's Slate.com slash I-C-Y-M-I plus. All right, we are back with Dion Barry, the founder of the Tumblr blog, the infamous Tumblr blog, This Is White Privilege. And once again, Rachel's going to take it away. I'm kind of
2: sensing some ambivalence about the place that This Is White Privilege and the legacy that the blog has. And so why did you stop moderating it? What was kind of the breaking point?
0: So I think it burnt out in the sense that I became interested in other things I heard someone describe Tumblr once as the abandoned clown factory on the other side of the internet. Um, (laughs) That's really good. (laughs) But part of it is like, I had an urge to make, make it transactional. I had the urge to make it into a website or to publish it into a book or something along those lines. But I think the ambivalence really comes from, I don't like dumbing down the conversation. I think that when I was 20 or 22, I felt like I knew everything. And I felt like it was so simple and it was so black and white and so easy to understand. And that if you disagree with me, that means you hate black people. And if you (laughs) don't like the way I run the blog, it means that you're just a racist, period. And I was just so full of like vinegar and anger. And I, I just don't think that reflects the way I feel now at 31, I feel a lot different about how to express some of that stuff than at 21. I mean, if I ever had to go back through and read probably some of the ways I spoke to people on that blog, I would probably be embarrassed. I'd probably want to go back and apologize to them. I'm curious, actually, did you see
2: the Times op ed from the person who ran your Favorite Problematic? Because it really touches oh. on like a lot of the things that you're saying.
0: <laughs> no, I would love to read that because your Favorite Problematic holds a fascinating place in the discourse, too, I think.
2: Definitely. But what do you think of it? Tell me about that place it holds.
0: Yeah. So your favorite problematic was great because it, great and horrible, in the sense that (laughs) the internet, yes, (laughs) I think that it also did a similar thing that This is White Privilege did, which was it was a format that was so digestible and easy to understand that it taught people a lot and also dumbed the conversation down so much that it was difficult to come back from. The same person who called Tumblr the abandoned uh, clown factory also said that Twitter sometimes threatens to reach the Tumblr event horizon. And I think that mm. this is why Privilege and Your Favor is Problematic were part of that event horizon where the conversation got so easy that you no longer had to think to participate in any of this stuff. We weren't teaching any critical thinking. We were discouraging critical thinking. There was a time where we said that it was problematic to ask a question. And that's, that is wild to me.
1: It's interesting to me that the nuance you're describing and what sounds like had a large part in you deciding to step away from, from moderating this Tumblr is, is the mantle that has been picked up and weaponized by this, this community online we're talking about now.
0: Yeah, I do think so. I think it's been, I think there are people, and I'll, I'll, I'll point the finger to myself, number one, I was attracted to the amount of attention and um, quote unquote power and the voice that I had um, on 2013 to 2016 Tumblr. I was learning for the first time what my ability was to mobilize a group of people on the internet, which is now my job and what I do professionally. But there is something that will always rot what you bring to the table when part of your motivation involves the power you get from it, the serotonin shot in your brain when you can force Tyra Banks to apologize for a character she played on a fake reality show 15 (laughs) years ago.
2: Do you kind of see a lineage between, I guess this is white privilege, but also kind of that Tumblr discourse of like 2013 and the internet today?
0: So We've I'm trying trying to wondering. Circle
2: around this point.
0: Yeah, I'm wondering if 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 you guys do. I feel like I've been on a on a thing today, um, <laughs> but I think that no, I think there's an influence on what we were doing on Tumblr at that time frame. Um, I don't know if it's just looking at it from my narrative scope, in the sense that I learned about a lot of the stuff for the first time on Tumblr, and then mm-hmm. I was able to take it to other places. Now, when I see a phrase on Reddit or Twitter or TikTok that I first heard on Tumblr, like, of course, I connected with Tumblr. Um, but did Tumblr actually have a legacy on the whole Internet for that? I'm I'm not sure. I know that other social media channels did not feel, to me, to be breeding grounds for those conversations. To me, they happened on Tumblr.
2: Mm, yeah. I mean, I hesitate to say this, even though it's semi-true. I kind of grew up on Tumblr in that I got on Tumblr when I was in high school, which I think is when your brain is the softest and therefore the most (laughs) susceptible to a lot of this stuff. And it's been interesting seeing the way, as you've said before, the kind of raw anger you have at that age change into something different. And so... I don't know if it's Tumblr specific or the fact that we all just retread the same things every six years on the internet because the internet has the memory of a goldfish, but so much of what's happening right (laughs) now is, like, so deeply familiar in a way, and I don't know if it's just because there's a new generation of people who don't, who weren't on Tumblr and therefore aren't nearly as exhausted by it, or if it's just, like, we're just cycling back.
0: So... I'm a, I'm a professional wrestling fan. That was my first mm-hmm. fandom I ever had. And I think that what you're saying is a very similar thing that you might see there, where you know people get so angry about something they might see on their screen, and I'm not angry about it because I'm like, no, nah, man, we did this seven years ago with a different wrestling. It's the same thing. And there's a mm-hmm. concept in wrestling that you can repeat the same angle, or the same story, or the same character every seven years, because enough people have cycled in and out that you know people really don't remember, or they think it's fresh. So I think that's a similar thing to what we're experiencing in our current discourse, the current mobilization of anger that we see. I don't know. Maybe it's the idea that you get older, you move to the center because you've had a lot of these conversations or you you get older and you feel like the center has now shifted onto you. Um, Mm. But it's kind of complicated to to. To pick it out, we'll see. It. We'll see at forty one how I feel about it.
2: <laughs> we'll check back in in ten years. <laughs> um, if you could go back to twenty ten or the day that you decided to start, this is white privilege. Do you, knowing everything you know now, would you still do it?
0: Me, with the same mindset I have now, I wouldn't. Um, I don't want the smoke. I don't want those problems. The earlier part of my career was really trying to be a provocateur, but I think that. I think that people learned good things from those blogs. I don't think everything that we learned was bad. Um, I, I just don't personally look back on that as something I'm proud of necessarily. It helped me understand how to build an online community, but I don't, I'm not necessarily proud of the way that it made me, be, made me behave.
2: I think our last question is, how do you think this is why privilege would be received if you started it tomorrow?
0: I think that it would work extremely well on TikTok. TikTok works in small digestible bits. Um, It's an audience of people who are primed to relearn a lot of this language and primed to redefine a lot of it. You know, If I got on the app right now and just started reading them off one by one in each video, I think many of the videos would start to blow up because social apps have determined that the more you can get somebody to comment and argue on your post, the more they will show it to more people. So I think it would be received well today if it was the exact same format. I think it would be received well on Twitter. It works on Instagram. And I don't know that that's necessarily a good thing. I don't think it's a good thing that the same exact conversation in the same exact format that we had eight years ago would basically still function the same way today. It's an exhausting thing to kind of go back and forth. When uh, Trayvon Martin, his murderer, George Zimmerman, was found not guilty, that was a shift for me in my mindset almost like a throw in the towel moment. Well, if we can't win this one, what can we win? If you can walk out on the street and and murder a black teenager for no reason, then, you know, what are we in this for? And for a long time that formulated as anger. And eventually it just kind of hardens into this focus on what can we actually do? How can I actually stop a black kid from being shot in the street? And my response to that is never yelling at some random person on Twitter with 100 followers who used the N-word because he heard it in a rap song. That's just not what I have the energy for anymore. I don't see the validity in uh, mobilizing the entire social media army against relatively small stuff like that, if that makes any sense. Not that I think white people using the N-word is small. Please, no one quote me on that. Not what I'm saying, but still.
2: I know I thought that was my last question. My actual last question, which is more of a fun question, depending on what you answer is what is the absolute wildest take you remember seeing on Tumblr?
0: That um the Otherkin group that was there, I don't know if you remember Otherkin. I do. Um,
1: <laughs> but in case in case hypothetically someone on this call does not, could you describe it?
0: Um other otherkin was a person who believed that they were a non-human of some kind. The comparison that they would use would be, um, you know, transgender people, you you might say, oh, it's a man born in a woman's body or something like that. That's older language people used to use. That's kind of the language that other kin would use for uh, an animal or a cartoon character or a plant or something like that. So if you were you thought you were a wolf born in a human body, you were wolf kin.
1: Oh, so it's if, like species dysphoria.
0: Similar. <laughs> or But you could you could be a, a, a ficus or a, a money tree <laughs> or uh, Harry Potter yourself. Wildest discourse I ever saw was that it was uh, wildly inoffensive to be somebody else's kin if they had claimed it first. So if I was Batman kin, right? That means I am the only one who's allowed to be Batman. And if I encounter someone who also claims to be Batman Ken? we have to figure out who posted it first on Tumblr. And it, it's extremely problematic for that person to claim to be a kin of a thing that is, is my kin. Unless we're shared spirit kins, then we share, we're one spirit in two different bodies. So it was, that was probably my favorite one. That's probably one where I looked at it and I was like, you know, I don't know if this website's for me anymore.
2: <laughs> I had fully blocked out other kin from my brain and now i need to like go crawl in a hole somewhere because that was a wild time to be alive (laughs) this was really great i'm so glad that we did this um
0: thank you so much yeah thank you you're welcome thank you for having me on
1: once again that was a conversation with dion berry the founder of the tumblr blog this is white privilege All right, that's the show. We'll be back in your feed on Saturday, so please subscribe. It is the best way to make sure that you never miss an episode. Leave us a rating and review in Apple Podcasts or Spotify and tell your friends about us. Seriously, please, tell your friends about us. Uh, We really appreciate it. You can follow us on Twitter. We are at ICYMI underscore pod or you can always email us ICYMI at Slate.com. ICYMI is produced by Daniel Schrader, Rachel Hampton, and me, Madison Malone-Kircher. Alicia Montgomery is Slate's VP of Audio. See you online, Rachel Voice, or on Tumblr.